end of the, that list of that gallery of uh, heroes of the faith that ran their race and are now sitting in the uh, in the bleachers cheering us on and handing, having handed the baton over to us. Uh, we have our lifetime to run a race of, of, of faith and they're cheering us on. And we, we were getting to the end and we got to um, uh, verse 32 where the writer sort of is in a bit of a hurry and he says, and I haven't got time to tell about Gideon, uh, Barak, Samson and Jephthah and uh, others. And uh, we just started to look at those. We, we had a look at Gideon and his faith. And this morning I want to look at, at uh, Barak or Barak. I'm not quite sure how you say that. It's, we've had Barack Obama, so I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. So I'm not quite sure how they said it in, in those days. And uh, that story takes us all the way back to uh, the book of, uh, of um, Judges. And the book of Judges happened at a time after the people, you remember the story, the people of God, the people of Israel escaped from Egypt uh, uh, with uh, Moses and then they got to the edge of the, the promised land and, um, and Joshua took them into the promised land and they began the conquest and then really the book of Judges is when it started to go a bit pear-shaped, technical term, and uh, they made progress as they kept close to God. And then when they went off God and got distracted by the gods of other tribes round and about, then things went pear-shaped for the people of God and they, they began to be dominated by other tribes. And so it was a sort of topsy-turvy time in their, in, in their history. It's a bit like some of our lives really, if you can use that parallel. You know, we're going on with God, we're following him and, and we feel the closest to him, but we get distracted by other things and sometimes we only sort ourselves out when we're in a bit of a muddle. And that seems to be how it was with the people of God in that period of time. And as they turned to God and prayed to him, they would, he would, as he so often does in history, in church history, he provided leaders, and they're, they're called judges. That's why the book's given that name. He provided judges, and, and those judges ruled Israel, and often they brought deliverance from the enemies round and about. And then the people of God stuck with him for a time, uh, and then sadly, they usually went off God a bit and went wandering off, uh, and then they got into trouble again. And it's sort of a cycle some of us have had similar cycles at points in our lives, haven't we? Points where we're faithful and walk with God and then points where he has to discipline us and uh, allow things to happen that make us think, man, I'm crazy. What am I doing? I need to get back right with God again. And that's, that's the cycle they were going through when we get to this man, uh, Barak. So that's what we're looking at this morning. If you want to turn to the story, it's in the book of Judges, uh, chapter chapter 4. And we'll read just some of that story. I'll tell all of the story, but we'll read a few verses together to start. Judges chapter 4. The context is that Israel's been fragmented and dominated by baddies, Canaanites, people who worship all sorts of fertility gods. They've been dominated for 20 years. So the people of God are in in a bit of a state, uh, really. And uh, this is how it goes. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Notice evil is not defined by our society. Our society can say, well, that's okay now. This is 2017 or this is B 
BC 500 or whatever it was, uh, our society can say all sorts of things are right and wrong. That fashion, God's not fashionable. He's never that in. He's certainly never irrelevant. But evil is what God says it is. And so from time to time, the church will be deeply unfashionable, deeply non-politically correct, because a society keeps changing its mind about what's good and what's bad in terms of morality, but God is unchangeably holy. So we have to face it, if we're following God, we, we won't be particularly politically correct at points in his realm, because evil is what God looks at and says is evil. So anyway... That's just an aside for free. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead. I don't know if you remember the story of Ehud. Jonathan told it in in the summer. Um, Ehud was a judge who killed a bad king, ran him through. It's a very gory story. It's just great. Anyway, Ehud was now dead. He delivered Israel. And so the, the deliverer had died. The leader had died. And Israel again did evil. They left God they deserted the God who loved them so much and delivered them. And sometimes, sadly, Christians do the same thing. And so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan. That's an interesting phrase. He sold them into the hands of Jabin. He allowed someone else to dominate them as a form of discipline who reigned in Hazor. Sisera was the commander of his army and he was based in an unpronounceable place. Harasheth Hagoyim or something like that because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron so he had the the most technologically advanced weaponry of his time you know there's all this in the news isn't it what what weaponry does North Korea really have it's you know who's got this and who's got tomahawks and it was the equivalent of the time he had this he was unbeatable he had 900 chariots fitted with iron the latest technology and they'd cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years and they did the right thing they cried to God for help that's one of the best prayers you can pray isn't it when you've run out of (laughs) help help God just help and that's what they did now Deborah a prophet the wife of Lapidoth was leading or judging Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go. Take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and leave them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the river Kishon, and I'll give you give him into your hands. And Barak said to her, Well, if you go with me, I will. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. So that was that was uh, that was Barak, and that's Deborah. That's a, the beginning of the story. In any case, so they're oppressed. There's, there's anarchy, their lands are plundered, but God is raising up Deborah as a leader for them. Her gifts and her calling were clear. So actually, it says she, she judged Israel for 40 years, and eventually the land had rest from her enemies. So her secret was she knew God. That was her secret. That's, and you know, that's, that's our secret weapon. <laughs> Someone said it this morning God is with us 
it's an easy thing to just say, but to, to really know and to work out the implications, God is with us. She knew that. She genuinely knew God, who is sovereign and mighty, is still with us. She believed a call of God, and she believed that also for Barak. And she was dominated by the call of God, not the size of the problem. I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I, um, I exaggerate problems and I shrink God. Do you, ever, do you ever do that? I suppose it's a bit like if you've got a two-p piece and you, and you hold it close enough, it seems bigger than the whole, the whole world, doesn't it? You know, because you can't see anything else. You get a little teacup or something, hold it in front of your face. You can, oh, it's so huge. But it's not, it's just a teacup. Sometimes our problems are like that. They loom so large, they seem bigger than God, but they're not. She, she, her view of God was so much bigger than the size of the problem. And that's a lesson for all of us. Isn't it? When we focus on our, our problems or the obstacles or the difficulty in front of us, they loom large. I don't know about you. I, I find at half past two in the morning, uh, they loom, things like that loom particularly large at half past two in the morning. I don't know why. It's because I'm dozy and sleepy and not thinking straight. If I wake up then, oh dear, it can be a bit, bit of a mental battle. But actually the truth is, God is there in the dark like he is in the light. He does, he's unchangeably mighty and holy and all-wise and all-knowing. And he knows the end from the beginning. He knows the number of hairs on our heads. And we get so worried about these things. But he is there. Let's be dominated by God, by his calling on us. His presence with us rather than the size of the problem. And I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. So Deborah had that view of life and she sent for uh, Barak and she gave him instructions. Go down here, take some people from a couple of tribes near where you live and uh, I'm going to deliver this huge army that's dominated you for 20 years and has invincible weapons into your hands. Off you go. And uh, <laughs> I don't know how you would feel, but I think I'll be a bit like, bit like him, really. He, he, was, he was reluctant. And what she said made no sense militarily. Because Jabin's enemy, led by Sisera, he had 900 of these ironclad chariots, which would be fairly useless, useless if Israel kept to the hills. Because you can't use them in the hills. And, and um, th- that was just the, the way of it. You couldn't use them in the hills, and Israel only had foot soldiers at this time. Even in the early reign of David, when they captured horses, they, they cut, their, cut, cut the back of their legs, so they didn't know really what to do with them. They, they, didn't, have, they didn't have mounted forces in those days. So, so what she's saying is, is you know, go down here, and, and I'm going to lead him to the, the plains by the river. He, she, she was saying, take these guys, go down through the mountains, and when you get there, go to the most vulnerable place you possibly can go. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? And God sometimes will lead us into places where we feel vulnerable. Actually, the safest place to be is where God wants you to be. The safest thing to do is what God tells you to do. That's, that's, but it doesn't always feel like that, does it? Say, oh, I feel a bit scared doing this. I'm stepping out, but it's what God's told me to do. Well, that's great. That's the best thing for you to do. It's the best place to be is where God wants you. The best activity to engage in is what God's told you to do. And uh, 
She, 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 she probably remembered the words that, um, that Joshua said in, in Joshua 23. One of you will rout a thousand because the Lord God fights for you, just as he promised. Joshua 23, verse 9 to 11. And, and this is what he said. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. What? Isn't that interesting? Be very careful to love the Lord your God. So, so being outnumbered, having problems that seem insurmountable, but having an opposition that seems overwhelming, that's not the problem. That's not the problem. The problem is your and my relationship with God. That is the, that's the number one issue, always, for the people of God. Your relationship with God. And so Joshua handed them this advice, which they had clearly forgotten. Be very careful to maintain your love for God. It's interesting. We, we often think of love as just, oh, I feel love for God, or I don't feel so much love for God. But actually, it's a relationship. He's saying, be careful to love the Lord your God. Take the time to love the Lord your God. Don't be too busy to love the Lord your God. Don't be too distracted to love the Lord your God. Be careful. It's a great word for us at the start of a new season. In all the busyness of the pickup of a term and now there's kids to take to school and there's this and I'm just coming back from holiday and I feel overwhelmed and this has happened and that. Okay, I know all of that. It's all real. But be very careful to love the Lord your God. Because our fortunes, just like their fortunes, will go up and down according to our love for God and our relationship with him. And when this guy wrote to the Hebrews, because that's where we've come from, Hebrews 11, those Hebrew readers, they felt overwhelmed, more overwhelmed than we feel probably. They were trying to be Christians and the whole Roman Empire turned against them imagine that with all its legions and all its paganism it's all right for us now because we can look back and say well no one's worshipping Jupiter now and there's no Roman legions now but and Christ is now worshipped right across the globe but they they needed that that Deborah and Barak spirit but we've got things against us haven't we militant secularism anti-christian media almost problems of materialism and individualism and all the other isms that might come against us we have we face problems and the problems of life finances future all those different things we need that same deborah type spirit i i i'm not quite sure why i put it in the notes but i remember that quote from hudson taylor there are three stages in every work of god impossible difficult and done I love that quote. It's been a consolation to me quite a lot recently. There are three stages in every work of God. Impossible, difficult, and done. Now let's keep our eyes on God like Deborah did. And then there's Barak. Bless him. He's amongst the many thousands and thousands of men who wouldn't have done anything without the influence of a godly woman. Then looks us shocked. Deborah is not his wife or his mother, but he wouldn't be listed as a man of faith without her stronger faith. See, see if, if you've got faith, and we've got some mighty women of faith, praise God. If you've got faith, your, your, your faith can draw others into faith. 
So speak, speak out your faith and draw others into your faith. Sometimes, because we live in a cynical society, we speak out our cynicism and draw others into our cynicism. We speak out our doubts and draw others into our doubts. So if you have faith, draw other people into your faith. Encourage one another, the Bible says, encourage one another daily. While it's called today, and I've checked, and it's still called today. While it's called today, encourage one another. She effectively remade Barak by using her prophetic gift under the direction of the Holy Spirit. She did, didn't she? He, he was... I mean, he must have been some sort of military commander, but we don't, we don't really know what he was, but, but he wasn't very willing. And in the end, he sheltered under her faith. He said, well, I'm a, he had a hesitant faith. Anyone here have a hesitant faith? Well, Barak had a great victory, even though he had a hesitant faith. So don't be too discouraged. Don't be too hard on yourself. And if you've got a prophetic gift like Deborah had, don't hide your lamp under a bushel whatever a bushel is, bucket, whatever. Use your gifts, practice your gifts. Make some mistakes, that's okay. We're a family, we can put up with that. But, but hone your gifts, use your gifts, because you never know what Barak you'll be drawing out. This is, this is the man that in the end routed Sisera's army at the Kishon River. He, was, he had some faith, he had a bit of faith, he had enough faith to say, uh, all right, if anyone identify with that? Oh, okay. That was the kind of faith he had. But that's a bit of faith. Jesus said if you've got faith, even like a mustard seed, you could do amazing things if you use it. So he had a tiny bit of faith, but it faltered as he looked at the facts. It wasn't like Abraham. Abraham, you remember Abraham? He looked at the facts. He was over 100. His body was as good as dead. His wife was looking a bit peaky, but he still believed God for a baby. Barak wasn't like that. He looked at the facts and thought, flipping heck. That's what he did. <laughs> that looks dangerous. Could we go somewhere else? Could, you do, could there be another plan, God? That's, he had, the odds were against him. And his faith almost failed as he looked at the risks. And so Deborah says to him, okay, I'll come with you. I'll hold your hand, which is great. Some of us need someone to hold our hands as we do something new and step out in faith. But the interesting was, Deborah had said, the Lord commands you to go. Judges 4 verse 6. The Lord commands you, and you're saying, well, no, not really. But I will if you will. Which is, which is all right, but it was sort of a reluctant obedience, wasn't it? We used to say to our kids, delayed, obe- delayed obedience is disobedience. It's a good phrase, eh? Really good. I'm not making note of that. But the interesting thing was God was happy to record his name in scripture as a hero of faith. It's because God loves even hesitant faith. God loves even faith with a bit of doubt in there. God still loves his faith. And Deborah agrees, so Deborah agrees to go, but says now the honour won't go to you. The honour's going to go, the army, in the end, the commander of the army is going to be handed over to a woman. Which was a big deal in those days because it was a very um, patriarchal society. In fact, the Israelites must have been really surprised that Deborah was their leader in those days. It was a a radical uh, thing for for a lady to lead the nation. But she did, and they all agreed to it. It was so obvious, the gifts that God had given her. So anyway, he does what he's told very reluctantly. 
holding Deborah's hand. And, uh, and if you read the whole chapter, which, which I recommend, it's a good story, uh, strategically, the Israelites should have been annihilated. It goes into uh, chapter 4 and then in, into chapter 5. And, um, but when they sing the, 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 song, the uh, song about it, it says, she just makes this song, Deborah does a worship song, and it says in 5 verse 21, the river Kishon swept them away, the age-old river, etc., etc., etc. And it seems like, and you have to read a bit between the lines, it, it seems like the heavens opened and it poured and poured and poured. It seems as if God sent massive storms so that the chariots couldn't maneuver on the soft um, planes. You know what it's, you know, it's like, I don't know if you've been to any Bible weeks, can you, some of us can remember like Bible weeks that we went to, uh, to camp at that were like the Battle of the Somme. You know, you get your car on, you put your tent up, and then you need a tractor to get off the site again. It was, a bit, it was a bit like that. The ground got softened, the chariots are tuning up, they can't maneuver properly. It's, it's in, and the lightly armed Israelites are able to stream down from the mountains. Uh, and as it continues to pour down, the chariots churn up the ground, they get bogged down. And, uh, so God does it in the end, and the lightly armed Israelites rout the army. And they learn that yet again, just like David said, the battle is the Lord's. We fight with spiritual weapons, our relationship with God, prayer like we're going to do Tuesday night. They're the weapons of our warfare. They're mighty to tear down strongholds. So the impossible happened. This weak, 20-year defeated army take on all these hundreds of iron chariots in the wrong place. And thanks to God, they win. God is a God of intervention. He is. And he intervenes miraculously. Here's the interesting thing. that The writer talking about faith doesn't put Deborah. You'd think he would. If I was writing Hebrews, I think Barak. The, the writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes down Barak. Not because, he does, not because he's, a, you know, a feminist or something like that, because he's quite happy, a verse or two before, to put down Rahab the prostitute. And he's mentioned Sarah as a lady of faith as well. So it's not because he's sexist. It's, he's deliberately wanting to encourage the readers of Hebrews and us, those of us with what you might call faith deficits, those of us with doubts, those of us that sometimes waver a little bit. He's saying, hey, you can be included as a person of faith as well. Don't discount yourself because you look at others and think, they don't seem to ever have a doubt. And I'm here quivering like a jelly. They seem to be all right to go off on their own. I need someone to hold my hand. It's okay. It's okay to be like that. You see, courage doesn't involve the absence of fear but facing it and pressing on anyway. That's what courage, courage is not the absence of fear. It's facing it and pressing it on anyway. Faith isn't necessarily the absence of doubt. It's not letting our doubts paralyze us, but saying, I'm going to trust God. And that's what he did. His faith overcome his doubts. Even though he needed someone to hold his hand, he said, oh, I will go, but... He, some of us have got a few butts in our life so to speak but we're trusting God and pressing on anyway faith overcomes 
presses on in obedience, presses on in commitment, presses on in worship. Debbie says to me reasonably regularly, come on, Rich, doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. She's a wonderful woman, you know. That's a great thing to say to your husband or your wife, isn't it, or your friend. Come on, doubt your doubts, believe your beliefs, because I'm just a feeble bloke. I have my ups and downs. Don't ask her too much about it. You lose all faith in me. But I have, my, I have my ups and my downs. And I do. But sometimes she'll say to me, come on, Rich. Believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts. I'll pass it on to you. It's a word of wisdom. Doubt your doubts. Believe your beliefs. We mustn't let our doubts, our uncertainties, the size of the obstacles, crowd out our certainties, which, which include the goodness the kindness and the power of our God, his salvation, his faithfulness. You can trust God when the lights go out. He's just the same as when it's all bright and sunny. So that's Barak, Barak, whatever you want. What about Jael? Sisera survives the battle, amazingly, and he flees exhausted and he finds shelter in, in a nomadic, with a nomadic tribe in the tent of uh, this tribe called the Kenites. They're all ites, aren't they? Uh, and this Jael, the wife of Heber, she sees the king and she offers him rest because in the Middle East, that's what you do. It's a hospitable culture. You always invite people in. It's what, it, it, it brings shame on your tribe if you don't offer hospitality. So she offers hospitality. Uh, and with that, traditionally, came the protection of the tribe. And he hides in this lady's tent which is not etiquette because a bloke shouldn't go into a lady's tent, not just at New Day and Bible Weeks, but it's just a general rule. Uh, and so he, he shouldn't have been in there, but it did mean that no one would look for him there, if you see what I mean. So, and in fact, it's one of the funniest verses in the old authorised version of the Bible because it says, he says, give me, give me water to drink, so she opened a bottle of milk. Anyway, we'll leave that to one side. I think it's a very funny verse. But anyway, he goes to sleep because he's, been fighting this battle and he's exhausted and he's lost and um, Jael realizes she's got this oppressive leader at her mercy she's she's an insignificant person in an insignificant wandering tribe at the back end of nowhere and she's got this guy sleeping in a tent so she gets the tent peg it's a bit of a gory story isn't it she gets the big tent peg puts it on his temple there you go, there she is. And good job the next shot's not there. And, um, and she kills him. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible story, isn't it? It really is a, a, a gory story. It's a horrible moment of terrible courage. What a courageous lady. I mean, that's it's not the sort of thing she'd ever done. She wasn't a warrior. She wasn't used to taking life. Could you imagine that? I mean, if you find a wounded animal to put it out of its misery, it's, oh, I don't want to do it. Imagine how awful this was for this lady. But she did it. She killed him. It makes grim reading. But here's the interesting thing. Unwittingly, she fulfills prophecy. She had no idea. And the glory of defeating the enemy goes to this unknown lady. Three cheers for her. What courage. God uses the smallest person from the smallest tribe 
to fulfill his purposes and bring freedom to the people of God. Don't you find that encouraging? Do you ever feel like you're a small person from an insignificant family in a tiny position? You're not famous. You're not, not be on a stage. You're not this. And we can focus on all the things we're not. God can use anybody to fulfill his purposes. And not only can he, he does. That's why Jesus says in, in, in the end, when the great books are opened up, many of those who seem first will be last. Many of those who seem last will be first. Because God knows what role we play. We don't. So that's the end of the story. The people of God have peace for n- numbers of years because of this story. What do we learn from it? Well, I've just got four, four things to leave us with. What, number one is there's power in accurate prophecy. The New Testament tells us not to despise prophecy. Not to think, oh, uh, yeah, well, they're always bringing prophecies. No, don't despise prophecy. You weigh up prophecy, which means you think, not just, is it right, but how heavy is it? Does this feel significant? And if you're not sure, you don't chuck it out. You put it on a shelf somewhere. Think, well, I don't understand it now, but I'll put it on a shelf. I'm not going to despise it. I'm going to keep that safe there. And from time to time, I'm going to look at it and pray over it and consider it. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to just weigh it up. There is power in accurate prophecy. This lady delivered a nation by saying to a bloke, this is what God wants you to do. And he wasn't really that sure about it but God brought deliverance there's power in accurate prophecy and we don't want to be a church that despises prophecy the very opposite here's the second thing the anointing and gifting of the Holy Spirit should be respected male and female her position was unique in but her position wasn't because someone voted her in or someone said, well, we don't believe in that or we do believe in that. It was because of the gifting of God. And we want to release men and women to do what they're gifted to do. The New Testament says God distributes gifts as he wills. In fact, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, God almost underlines the fact that it's male and female upon whom he pours his Holy Spirit. So we want to release gifts people to function in their gifting, men and women, Deborahs and Bayraks, and even the odd jail. Well, I'm not sure about the tent peg. (laughs) Here's a third one. God uses even hesitant faith. You grow faith by using it. If you haven't got very much faith, well, use what you've got. It's like a muscle faith. Use it and think, wow, I didn't think I could do that, and it grows a little. God uses even hesitant faith. So join me in trying to believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts, and step out in faith where you have opportunity. And let's remember, God is greater than your enemies. I don't know what your particular enemy is. Could be unforgiveness, could be bitterness, could be a certain sort of temptation, could be hatred, I don't know. I don't know what your individual enemy is. I don't know what our corporate obstacles are. But let's believe that God is greater than anything that comes against us, whether it fills our horizon or not. 1 John 4 verse 4 says, He who is in you, he who is amongst us, is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. For every time you speak, 
We thank you for your infallible word given to us in scripture. We thank you for your prophetic word, always consistent with scripture, always to be weighed up, but so valuable in directing us and encouraging us and comforting us and strengthening us. We ask that you'd keep speaking to us. We pray that you would help us as we start another term to have uh, to be careful to love you. We just at the start of a term, Lord, after summer holiday and being away from each other, we thank you for each other. We ask you that you would strengthen our relationship with you, that we would follow you closely, that we would hear you clearly, that we would obey you promptly. We thank you for the gifts that are amongst us, the richness of different talents, different abilities, different spiritual gifts. We ask you that they would find, that we would find a way to use the gifts that we have and to serve you. We ask you that your kingdom would come and that you would, through us, push back the enemy wherever we find him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We're going to finish there. The children, I think, they brought back.